is Notorious P.O.D. The name's John Bass on this M.I.C. I brought a couple man alongside of me. I got Gary Roy Smith in the place to boot. We got murder stats and guests galore. You know we're talking real hip-hop folklore. And we're gonna cover all the goddamn classics. Notorious P.O.D. We're gonna smash it. Peace! Hello and welcome to the Notorious Podcast, Ready to Die. I'm your host John Bass and today I'm joined by a regular and one of the most popular and certainly the best Spurs podcasts, The Fighting Cock, also the boxing podcast Below the Bell. He's also an absolute encyclopedia of hip-hop knowledge. Thelonious Filth is in the building. Good afternoon, hello, hello. I don't know if I can live up to all that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try my best. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make it my thing to give people like the longest and most like convoluted introductions every time they're on there. If I get a fact wrong, I apologise. We're kind of freestyling this and I'll yeah. go off the dome. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be done. Yeah, When I build someone up as an encyclopedia of hip-hop, I sort of set them up to fail. Yeah, so. I mean, you can only fail, really. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You no, know, you yeah. release the album on the 5th of February, not the 16th. You've got a date wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. There'll always be something yeah. incorrect. But how, how are you, mate, anyway? Um, not bad. I um, feel quite good after that long walk down the high street. But, um, yeah. No, I mean, overall, I'm good. I mean, Spurs lost today, which I'm not yeah. about. But, um, I mean, this podcast gives me an opportunity to listen to an album I've not heard in a while. So, yeah. Spirits, no, good. Well, that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why we kind of set it up, is that we, we both... Um, and, and all of our friends really are kind of we're stuck in the 90s and we love that era of hip-hop and obviously when when the two of us um, started speaking initially it was it was a bit weird really we kind of were speaking about the fighting cock stuff on Twitter yeah and then I realized that you're a massive hip-hop fan so then I sent you a link to our first ever episode where I had who's going to soon to be my brother-in-law Corey on there yeah and it turns out that you know Corey through yeah, mutual yeah. friends I've, I've known him for known him for a number of years um yeah, just a very, very small one. I remember yeah. when I was watching the action, I thought, hang on, that's, that's Corey. <laughs> I know for, for many moons back. Yeah, um, yeah. No, he's a good lad. Yeah, and that Coventry accent is unmistakable, isn't it? No, you, 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 you can't miss that accent. <laughs> but a uh, good bunch of lads in Coventry. Oh, yeah. A good bunch. No, good lads. And I think we're going to be, um, in April, we're going to be doing another pod with the guys that we did uh, Liquid Swords with. So we're going to do cool. that one again, which will be good. And Corey will be on there, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, and then since then, um, I've been on the Fighting Cock for many times, which is great. And um, so I've been nagging you to come on and do Notorious P.O.D. for a while. So I yeah. uh, appreciate that. But before we get into um, the pod for real, we always ask all of our guests the same, essentially the same two questions. Yeah. So imagine you're a boxer. Yeah. You've got your world title shot. What is your boxing entrance music? You know what what? Are you coming since down? your first pod, I've thought about this answer. I really mulled over it. Yeah. And you sent me the running order, and I completely forgot till all the way here that I didn't have an answer for it. <laughs> but the one I'll, what you've got to really think about is that there are songs that, um, you know, you know, gully and gritty. Yeah. But then in a crowd of, in a boxing crowd, they need to know the song as well. Yeah. So if it's just, I don't know, an angry backpack song, yeah, yeah. then it only means something to people who know the song. True. So, for example, Lee Selby goes into a big old song, I think it's Lives of the, Lives of the Poor and Dangerous. Yeah. It comes to that. It's not, really, it's not a very well-known song, but hip-hop heads know the song. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so, to that end, I've always said Bring the Ruckus by the Wu-Tang Clan would be, would be it. Yeah. But then I think, um, no, maybe it's got to be something that, that more people know. You know, it's got to yeah. be. So, it might just be something like Simon Says. And, and I think someone said it in the previous yeah. part. I think Simon Says or... Maybe a red man song, Time for Some Action. Yeah, that's a, uh, to be fair, I think it was actually one of the Coventry boys, uh, Man Like Hugo, who said Simon Says. I think it was him. Yeah. 
Because that is such a, like, it's kind of one of those, even if you don't necessarily know it, if you're not a hip-hop head, you'll yeah. know it. And it'll just, as soon as it, like, comes in, you'll just know exactly what it is. So I think it'll probably be, it'd be the Bringer Ruckus, um, or I've just remembered what, what I thought about now, Super Thug. Yeah, the reason being to be super thug is it just be the intro yeah. and the helicopter. So I don't know if I'm like some if I'm like 1988 Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, where, you know people are scared of me. Yeah, and then the helicopter come and they're like, they're like, they're like, they're <laughs> So yeah. yeah, I think I'm only going super thug. No, yeah, you go. Yeah, that's that is a good good shout. Yeah. As soon as that what 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 yeah, comes yeah, yeah. in, everyone's just gonna go. Um, go I mean, I guess the best music of all the active boxers would probably be guys fighting tonight. Eubank Jr. comes mm. into Still Dre. Yeah, that's a pretty just, strong. And it smashes every time. Yeah, to be fair, I've seen him. I can't remember what fight it was, but I saw him at the O2. And when that comes on, yeah, it does. Like everyone's just into it. Yeah, it's yeah. just that is one of those songs that kind of cuts through uh, genres. Like no matter whether you're into indie or house, if that comes on, you, you're loving that. I think everyone had a had you know a chronic poster in their wall when yeah. they were a kid or at uni or whatever. So yeah, yeah, for definite. Okay, and the other question we always ask is um, pick one album um, that becomes the only music you can listen to forever. So. As we've done this, people have started to get smart. So they've they've picked either compilations or the greatest hits and stuff like that. But um, you can go for anything, but it just has to be one album, basically. You know what? I thought about this on the way here, too, (laughs) because um, normally you'd pick an album that has a bit of everything on it. Yeah. It's a hip-hop podcast. I wanted to limit myself to to hip-hop. So I wanted to pick an album that has a bit of everything on there, you know, a very well-rounded album. Um, and it's kind of ironic, as big as albums had a bit of that. You, had a, yeah. you know, you had, um, I don't know, Give Me The Loot, and you have juicy stuff for the girls, and, yeah, and, yeah. and all that. So, um, Ready To Die would probably be one, but I think the album, the album that springs to the front of my mind right now is um, Diamond D's Dance Blunt and Hip Hop. It's such, it's a little-known hip-hop album, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's an amazing album. It's not even on Spotify, so... So that, that's how you should. YouTube, but yeah, um, yeah Dunce Blunt and Hip Hop is the one that's in my head now. Bang. Okay, well, maybe we can cover that as a, a separate, we'll do that as a, another, we'll get you back and do that one. Could do, yeah. Which would be good. Um, okay, good stuff. Well, we, we have a new little feature called Street Report, where we just talk something that's going on in the old school hip hop world that's happening right now. Um, last week um, was marked the 20 year anniversary of Big L's death. Yeah. Um, now I know you and I privately have spoken about Big L and just like the the talent level of the guy, but um, what what's kind of your views and, and memories of, of Big L? Really? I mean, to be honest, um, up to his debut album, I know a lot about up to then. So his freestyles, did yeah. Stretch and Bobito, and that album. I think it was it called a Big Picture, the second album. Big Picture I didn't was the one. Listen to that album yeah. much. I didn't. I knew of you, but I didn't listen to the album deeply. Yeah. But now my memories of him was just the skills and bars and punchlines yeah. and. Um, he was just such a talented. Every every track just had one line that I just um, stick in your head, you yeah. know. Um, but I think most people's memories of Big L, people are really into, would be those those famous freestyles on the radio. Yeah. There's a whole album, I think it's Harlem's Finest, it's called yeah. stuff like that. And um, oh, I just wanted to go back to back with Jay Z. Yeah, that that freestyle in itself has become like its own like meme in hip hop, hasn't it? Like, yeah. it's unbelievable. I think I spoke to you again about it before. And I'm sure I've mentioned it on here before, which is. Um, the best documentary of hip hop I've ever seen is the Stretch and Bobito documentary yeah. about how they started on the radio and how that happened. I think it's just called Radio That Changed Lives. And there's a whole section, and the clip goes around on like Facebook and social media of them talking about that freestyle. And just hearing Jay Z talk about it, like now, yeah. and like where he's obviously done what he's done, and he's kind of a legend in the in the industry. 
like he, the way he talks about it is so fond and like it, he knew that it was just a like a kind of important moment but he didn't realize until fairly recently how much esteem like hip hop heads hold that particular freestyle yeah i mean jay-z was one of those guys who um i mean i'm i'm, I'm not his biggest fan but i do respect his skill mm. level and then you know, when it was coming up there's loads of um, freestyle that i knocking about with jay-z on them and yeah. You know, them two were going back and back to back, and I think at the time Jay Z must have just done reasonable doubt, so he was the bigger artist, you'd argue. Mm. And um, no, Big L was just was just in there. Yeah. And I think Big L was was quite a record because there's ones where he just came and did a freestyle, and then I think it might be Judge Up a Beat. I says, "Have you got someone in mind for all these bars?" You know, <laughs> he's like, "No, no, I've got to keep the knife shot. We've got to keep the knife shot." Yeah. So, it's it's crazy that his because his whole thing. If if you've never really listened to Big L, then just seriously look into it straight away because it would blow your mind there's a lot of people I know who I would say kind of passing hip hop heads and they either never heard of Big L or heard the name and never really kind of like invested time to listen to it M make time because it will blow your mind in terms of skill level I think like my favourite um, th there's a couple of punchlines from him that always just like stick with me it's like my flow comes hard like strong lumber cute chicks get the dick ugly bitches get the wrong number <laughs> That is fucking crazy. I've been, I've been the one that comes to mind is that um, I've been fucking bitches in the air since I was six and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that, one, that one made me laugh as well. But yeah. oddly enough, I mean, I didn't even think about this. Um, I talked about the Diamond D album, mm. and Big Earl was part of that crew, actually. Yeah, um, DITC. Cause, yeah, because yeah, DITC was on, it was on, it was on that. Um, but no, it's just, just punchlines. I think, you know, if anyone follows me on Instagram, I'm always posting music yeah. in my story. And the other day, I think I posted um, his verse in the graveyard. That was Quote of the Month in the Source at the time. Yeah. And back then, Quote of the Month in the Source was a big, big, Serious. big deal. Yeah. And um, I think, what was the one, what was the line that says? I'm known for snatching purses at burning churches. I've got more pussy back to it than most niggas get on purpose. <laughs> just... <laughs> I mean, he just, uh, there's so many, there's that ask Beavis, I give nothing but head, yeah. there's that, there's, I'm so ahead of my time, my parents haven't met yet, it's just fucking hell, like, the guy was insane. It's amazing, I mean, the 90s was a time when, you know, bars and punchlines were really, you know, were really mm. a calling card back then, and he for was sure. one of the, he was one of the people who could really hold his own in that regard. Yeah, for sure, and I think he elevated that, and that, that kind of style and approach a lot of other MCs, and I know uh, Eminem, again, I'm not a massive fan of him, but he quotes Big L as a big inspiration to him, and if you listen to early Eminem and peak Big L, you can really see the influence of Big L on Eminem, so yeah, absolutely fascinating. Um, we, um, when we first spoke about you coming on the pod, mate, we were talking about, you know, I said to you, what albums do you want to do, and you, you yeah. were originally kind of stuck between two, weren't you? Yeah, um, I wanted to do Equemini by Outkast, yeah. uh, they're like probably my favourite hip-hop group. I wanted to do Biggie, but then something I'm very conscious of, I don't want to talk about stuff that's esoteric or mm. little known, is that um, I guess I wanted to pick an album that everyone kind of knew. Yeah. I wouldn't say Ready to Die is one of my favourite albums, especially the imagination, but it's an album... It's an artist that I've got good memories of. Yeah. Me being a bit older, as you'll realise with the pod, yeah. I remember. I remember Biggie being around, and I remember the evolution of Biggie from you know, when he first started out to you know what he ended up as, as untimely timely death. Yeah. So I thought, well, he's an icon within hip hop, and I thought, I, I thought I'd pick him. But no, Krem and I, if I'm invited back, I'll definitely want to do that. Well, one. you'll definitely be invited back, mate, and we'd love to do that because we did uh, we did obviously Mob Deep, the infamous, our last episode, and we yeah. were talking about like iconic duos and, and the South as well. And the South, and we haven't done an album from the South, and I really want to get into that. I'd like to do something. I think I mentioned before we want to do you know Scarface, and we want to look at you know other rappers in hip hop in its entirety because. 
Uh, Outcast really transformed the South when they put them on the map. Yeah. And that album is, like, from an artistic point of view, is incredible. So, yeah, we definitely, mate, we'll definitely do that. Um, okay, well, now um, we need to get into what we call our murder stats uh, for Biggie's Ready to Die. For those of you that don't know, this is where we give you all the important stats and facts from the album so you can get to grips with it. Uh, and then we'll pick it apart. Ready to Die is the debut studio album by American rapper The Notorious B.I.G. Released on September 13th, 1994 by Bad Boy and Arista Records. The album features production by Bad Boy founder Puff Daddy, Easy Moby, Chucky Thompson, DJ Premier and Lord Finesse. And it was recorded at the Hit Factory and D&D Studios in New York City. The album tells the story of the rapper's experience as a young criminal and was the only studio album released during his lifetime as he was murdered 16 days before the release of his second album, Life After Death, in 1997. Ready to Die was released to critical acclaim and became a commercial success, achieving gold certification. In 1995, it was certified double platinum by the Record Industry Association of America and has since reached a certified six times platinum with sales. It was significant for revolutionizing and revitalizing the East Coast hip-hop scene amid West Coast hip-hop's commercial dominance. The album's second single, Big Popper, was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Solo Rap Performance at the 1996 Grammy Awards. Ready to Die has been regarded by many critics and fans as one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. It spawned four singles. Juicy, released August the 9th, 1994. Big Papa, released December the 30th, 1994. Warning, released February 1995. And One More Chance, released June 6th, 1995. Those were your murder stats for Notorious B.I.G.'s Ready to Die. Okay, so they were your murder stats for Ready to Die. Um, T, anything standing out from, from those facts and stats, mate, for you? I didn't realise he went golden and he was still alive. Mm. Um, you know, we think of hip-hop as this big, massive behemoth, this big, massive machine you know, now in 2019. But back then, the albums weren't going gold. Yeah. You know, it was a big deal for anything to go gold back then. So, yeah. um, no, I mean, obviously, after he died, he said it went six times platinum. And that's not surprising. But at the time... For, for a rap artist to go gold is just, it's just amazing, I didn't, I didn't realise. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal, and like you say, it's one of those things like now, it's basically if you don't go platinum, it's almost like not worth it for the record labels. Yeah. But at the time, you know, for, for artists and hip-hop artists, to, to go gold was like a big thing. And it, it was a kind of a, you know, I think, again, for me, looking back at it retrospectively, I have to kind of get my mindset into what the music industry and what hip-hop was at that time. And it was very much a fledgling scene still. And yeah, going the six times platinum, I guess, like anything, when an artist dies, yeah. the value goes that goes up. But um, still, that's a lot of records. Oh, it's, it's an awful lot. I mean, at the time, I mean, you mentioned about West Coast dominance at the yeah. time. So Snoop and Dre were getting those sort of numbers. No one in the East Coast, no one from New York was really getting those numbers. Um, yeah. Then later on in the decade, I think around the time of Biggie's death, they were getting artists from, from the Midwest, uh, Bone Thugs, um, Crucial mm. Conflict. Then you had people from the South, um, you had kind of master P and artists like that yeah. starting to sell bigger numbers in New York so I think Biggie gave New York a massive shot in the arm and yeah. that's probably why it was a big deal that he went gold yeah yeah for definite um, just one of the other things that I thought was really interesting just for anyone wondering Gaz is not able to make it today because he's, he's feeling a bit under the weather bless him so he's he's, he's tucked up in bed with his little hot toddy um, but he, he sent me some information of research that he'd done and um, we mentioned before about some of the producers on this album and obviously 
and rightly so, Puff Daddy gets a lot of the recognition for um, his uh, kind of tutorage and mentorship of, of Biggie and bringing him off the street and making him an artist. But um, apparently, Easy Mo B, who's one of the producers on this album, um, was very much kind of entwined with Big Daddy Kane and saw uh, Biggie as kind of the future and the next step in terms of being essentially uh, kind of the king of New York and, and kind of pushing it forward. So I thought that was really interesting as well. And also, just from like a production level, like, we speak all the time on this podcast about DJ Premier and just how many classics like he's responsible for. Yeah, and he does does it again on this album. Like he's just made some like unbelievable things produced by him. It's one yeah, of my yeah, favorite yeah. tracks. Um, I mean, I, I think I tweeted mini thread earlier on this week about you know Biggie's whole sound. Yeah. Because, um, back then you weren't having R and B singers on hip hop songs. This wasn't really the done thing. Um, yeah. You know, and if you did, it had to be really gritty. I mean, I think um, you know Temperature Rising from Mob Deep. Yeah. Gritty, I made a little R&B singer with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That kind of worked, but back then it was very much frowned upon. And if I saw Trackmasters producing anything in hip-hop, I'd be like, fuck off, straight away. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. um, I think Big was one of the first artists to kind of, you know, be still maintain the grittiness and the gulliness and mm. have a bit of an R&B feel to it. Yeah. So when you see the list of producers, I think Chucky Thompson is one of the names. Um, yeah. I'm familiar with him working on my life for Mary J. Blige mm. and Faith Evans' debut album. Um, I'm a massive, massive R&B head, by the way. I was yeah. probably more to R&B at the, at the time then. Yeah, yeah. Pop, but I recognised those names from, from the from the liner notes, and I thought this is a bit, it's a bit soft, isn't it? And yeah. you hear unbelievable, and it's like, yeah, you know, what, maybe I can get down with this a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which which is interesting because obviously that. Well, now is is kind of a little bit controversial because it's an R. Kelly sample. Yeah. Um, so it yeah. kind of is, and that that beat is not in any way soft. It's a hard hip hop yeah, beat. Um, so even with the sample, I mean, it still just kicks and hits really hard. I um, think that's the biggest idea to put the sample in. Oh, really? There's a story I saw because I think the Primo had the beat, and biggest the name maybe just putting um your body's calling. You know, just yeah. cut up unbelievable. That's and, great. And he did it and. The end result was amazing. Yeah, it's, it's true, and, and I think on the thread you were talking about this week that you mentioned, like their their kind of uh, tracks they did together, like "Kicking the Door," yeah, um, and uh, Ten Crack Commandments." Yeah, I mean that that to me those tracks uh, there wasn't really kind of many times in their in Big's career when he sounded better to me. Yeah. Like he really did. I mean, anyone sounds good on premier beats, I would say, yeah. but. That combination, I thought, was fantastic, and and on this album, I think it works really well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you say that. Um, I think I think you guys might have just said, um, "Did you have done the automatic yet?" No, we are definitely going to do that. I don't know. I think you've done it in my head, but um, that album almost, in some people's eyes, ruined hip hop because mm. before then you'd have one producer, one album. Yeah. And that album birthed having ten producers yeah. on one album. So um, you've got all these different producers, and Biggie's having to try and you know cut the cloth accordingly yeah. for different different kind of beats. Yeah. But, you know, almost harking back to that these days, having one producer, one album, I think Apollo Brown, who the more, you know, discerning hip-hop heads will know, has done yeah. a number of albums of different artists, um, OC, um, Guilty Simpson. Mm. So maybe a big year lived, we might see a, just an old album produced by Primo. I mean, imagine that. I mean, incredible. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I would... I mean, that would just be amazing. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Like, you know, the Nas Kanye, Kanye experiment yeah. didn't didn't quite work. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned Illmatic because um, Lord Finesse is also one of the producers on here and he also worked on Illmatic and, and been part of lots of successful hip-hop albums. So it's interesting that some of these producers that have, that have been part of some of the most legendary hip-hop albums, they don't necessarily get the kind of level of credence that they maybe should do. 
Um, so yeah, it's just it's just interesting. Like you say, it's kind of a back catalogue of brilliant producers on this album. So yeah. I think that makes it um, really interesting. Um, but mate, what was your um, kind of what was your early memories of it? When was the first time you heard this album? Well, I, mean, I kind of this is going to contradict what I said earlier on <laughs> yeah. about what I said about unbelievable, but. That was a song that Westwood was playing. So back then, Westwood had a show on Capital Radio. Yeah. And that was when you'd hear the latest hip-hop and Unbelievable was a song he batted. Yeah. And back then it was just Biggie Smalls. Yeah. And then I realised I'd heard, the first time I heard Biggie was on a Supercat remix, uh, Dolly My Baby. And it's um, Puff Daddy, another bad boy rapper, and Biggie, that feature on there. And I thought, who's this guy? And he's always yeah, yeah. a bit different. He, I think he sang a bit of, um, back then... R&B, ragga, hip-hop, those are the three things I was into. Yeah. And Biggie said a line out of a Papa San song. Um, and it says, Lord, Mickey, I take it. No more. And I thought, hang on, yeah. that's, that's, from, that's from Papa San. This guy's <laughs> kind of cool. So yeah. that's what pricked my attention to Biggie. So yeah. when I heard he was doing an album, I thought, yes, this would be interesting. And the guy's got skills. And yeah. um, I think my memories of Biggie was that he probably, he wanted to do a Gully album. He wanted to be a lot more like, say, Redman yeah. than you know what he became. I think he wanted to just be bars. You know what I mean? Yeah, hard. He wanted street. to be. He wanted to be more like that. And I felt that like my early memories is that well, it's not a lyricist, but he's got great songs. Yeah. You know, these aren't. I mean, I mean, there's not. They're not quotables. Yeah. But, you know, this just these are great songs. It's a great album. Yeah. Um, another early memory I had, as we spoke about earlier on before we recorded, was that um, my older brother had had the album on vinyl. Yeah. And the original vinyl album had nine tracks. Now, back then, I didn't have a CD player. <laughs> so I just had a little, probably Say Show or Sanyo record player back then <laughs> that I sometimes sneak into his room, you know, play it on my, yeah. on, on my one. And the nine tracks that were on it was Juicy, Gimme the Loot, Machine Gun Front, Warning, Unbelievable, The What, Respect, One More Chance, and Big Poppers. And none of the interludes. Yeah. Um, Everyday Struggle, Suicidal Thoughts. Um, Who Shot You? It's not on there, is it? Who Shot You? Wasn't on the original album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wasn't on, it wasn't on the original CD either. It was on, yeah. the, it was on a reissue yeah. of the album. So, but no, I heard the album and I thought, this sounds really, really, really good. But that year, I mean, that, that, that era, I should say, on the whole, I mean, I think Your Matter came out in 94. Um, yeah, Pete Roxy, R Smooth, Redman, all these albums out. So Biggie had to fight amongst all that. Yeah. And he still stood out among all that. So that was my, my memories is that in, a, in, in arguably the most competitive era of hip-hop, he still, he still held his own. That's the thing for me. Like, when we talk about all these albums, it's really interesting because we're talking about most of them within a sort of three to four year period. They're all being released. And, you know, the likes of Illmatic, 36 Chambers, like Ready to Die, these are like landmark pieces of art in, yeah. in hip-hop culture. But they're... What we sometimes forget, particularly for me, because a lot of this is retrospective, is you forget that they're actually making them at the time these other albums are being released. So that added pressure of going, I've got to do something different, but I've got to compete with these guys, yeah. I think probably helped. I think it probably made them more competitive and, and kind of pushed that edge of, we need to do something amazing. I do think that if Biggie didn't have Puffy in his corner, mm. it's difficult to say how Biggie would have been, because I yeah. think Puffy just had the... Puffy just had the vision for him, and Definitely. the vision is what pushed him over the edge. I mean, at the time, Puffy was a laugh and was a figure of fun, mm. I'd say. Um, it's unbelievable he's got a rap career, but that's another that's Yeah, a, that's, that's a whole other podcast. That's another podcast altogether. <laughs> but, um, yeah, very true. You know, Puffy was someone who 
you know, he was at times most famous for giving Jodeci their look, you know, the Timberland boots and the baggy jeans and yeah. the arm beers, mostly suits and slick haircuts. So yeah. he's, and then he did the same thing with Mary J. Blige of the DMs and all that. So he's working it big and I'm thinking, Andy, you've worked with two amazing, let me yeah. make this point, yeah. R&B singers and now you're working with the bloke in hip-hop and he, you know, he worked his magic. I think with, with, with Puff, and I think we, I'd like to do maybe um, some specials where we talk about some of the sort of non-artist kind of cultural figures in hip-hop. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really interesting subject, you know, like the Russell Simmonses of this world. Um, and the thing about Puff is I think that he he saw the commercial potential of hip-hop and he, he was trying with various different things to find an angle and find a way to make it work. And I think that some of the things, like, like you mentioned, in terms of like styling artists differently and you know approaching songs slightly differently in terms of the way that he was trying to produce tracks that had a more you know commercial poppy feel if you like and i think that he was trying to get that right with this album and obviously juicy if you've ever seen the notorious movie it's quite interesting how they kind of show that and obviously well it's produced by puffy so there's always this element of ah yeah it sort of always makes him look quite good but essentially it's like you said to like big i get the impression that he wanted to just do straight bars, raw hip hop, street shit. This is what it's, you know my life is, and I think Puff had the kind of foresight. So that's fine, but you've got to give something that you know the the bigger audience can latch onto. And the likes of Juicy and we spoke before about Big Popper as well. Those records are very radio friendly. They're very female friendly. They're very passing hip hop fan friendly. They're very open to a lot of people. And I think that's Puff's probably his best skill was just understanding how to unlock. That market. It's just a marketing guru. I yeah. Mean, at the time, I mean, girls are into hip hop, but not like after Biggie came along. Mm. And it's a bit like I had to talk about the NBA, how Michael Jordan changed everything with mm. the marketing and, you know, giving him his own shoe. That never really happened before Michael Jordan. And I guess now in hip hop, the way they market these people now, it, it was born with, with Biggie. For sure. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's absolutely crazy. And, and if you look at kind of what Puff's done since then, it's just like blown up and he almost had like you know with Big that gave him the platform then to like take it to the next level so. yeah I mean also at the time I think him and Biggie and Craig Mack came up at the same time yeah. and you know I mean RIP Craig Mack but I think Craig Mack probably felt a bit slighted because Biggie just went just blew took away, off yeah. absolutely blew up because didn't they they had like this um, it was called Big Mac and it was like a double single with both of them on it yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that obviously like kind of went the way it did and then Big's album came out and Big just like you said just went a million miles Craig an Mack's hour. album was pretty awful. Yeah, um, oh yeah. My brother sold that record. He didn't sell many records <laughs> yeah. anymore, but he sold that one. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So talking about um kind of you know, you mentioned there before about the kind of the original press and, and, and that sort of thing. What were your favourite tracks? Um uh, when you when you first heard it and have they changed since? Well, um the what um, which he did a Method Man. Yeah. Um, Method Man's verse got quote of the month, quote of the month in the source. Ah, there we go. Um, so I remember that from the time. So that track is the one that always stuck with me. Yeah. Um, you've got Unbelievable, obviously, which is the yeah. first single. Um, got Juicy as well. Big, big pop, probably the obvious ones. But um, I guess, I guess if I'm going to say my ultimate favourites would probably be Unbelievable and the What. Those are the two yeah. that, that I latched onto at the time. I think with Juicy and Big Pop, I thought, oh, this under the commercial. Yeah. But over the years, I've realised that they're, they are actually bangers. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, for me, it's kind of, again, we talk about it all the time, which is that for, for myself and, and Gaz and a lot of other people that we have on this pod, it was always second hand for us. So we were experiencing it kind of retrospectively. And the first Biggie track I think I'd ever heard was like a, was a freestyle thing. And 
and I was like, whoa, this guy's like, I'd never heard a flow like it. It was like that really choppy style. And then the first kind of thing I saw was this, um, one of these like uh, Puff Daddy making the band things. Okay. But it was the one where they were trying to get rappers and they were trying to get rappers. And he was making these, like, he was like, right, uh, recite Juicy now to these rappers and none of them could do it and he was going ballistic I mean like smashing up this room like yeah. you say you love hip hop and you don't know all the words to Juicy like what you're doing so at that moment in my life I was like I don't know say 15, 16 I was like right I'm going to learn all the words <laughs> to Juicy because if anyone ever asked me then that's, that's that seems to guys. be yeah exactly that seems to be like the benchmark you need to know that so Juicy was one of those tracks where I was just like okay I need to kind of get to grips with it so I've always had a soft spot for it but then as I've started to kind of get more into kind of you know, hip hop and understanding really what hip hop's about yeah. is probably one of my like least favorite tracks by him. As much as I think that it's still a banger, so my my tracks would be "Give Me the Loot," just the um, the performance from him, like playing two characters having a conversation yeah. with themselves. It reminds me a bit of um, Master Race, Me and the Biz. Yeah, Biz Marquee didn't tell us for the studio session. He recorded it all himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. it's that kind of character based conversational yeah. and the chopping between the two. And yeah, it's just, it really like, it's so punchy and just like gets your attention. I love that record. Um, Machine Gun Funk, I really like that. Uh, the What is is amazing. And I think the reason it's so good is because, I mean, Method Man is clearly pushing big all the way. And big is like stepping up to the mark. And there's a lot of debate in hip hop, isn't there, generally about who outperforms who on that yeah. track. I think what Method Man at the time was God. Yeah, exactly. He was Godly exactly. at that time because him and ODB were the main guys in the Wu-Tang. Yeah. You probably think, if you listen to it retrospectively, you probably think, well, no, Ghostface and Rayquan are yeah. the best rap careers of, 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 yeah. of, the, of the band. But those two, I believe, released their albums first because they, them two were the main guys. And to yeah. have Method Man on your album was, was a big, big, mm. big deal. And, you know, Biggie, Biggie held his own. Yeah, no, Biggie held his own. But I think, at the time, Biggie was as soon as a lyricist and back then, lyricists had the most currency and... Methman just well, yeah. You know, we, all, we all know what he did in that track. So. Yeah, he's crazy. I mean, you're right though. So interesting what you said about kind of Method Man was was seen as kind of the focal point. RZA was very open about that, which is the it was always their intention to release Method Man's album first out of everybody's because yeah, someone... yeah cause exactly because they they saw him as essentially as like the most marketable and the most kind of um, accessible to everybody. Um, so yeah, at the time, like that as a collaboration was probably quite exciting. If you've got someone that's you know absolutely blowing up, yeah, um, and you're, you've got someone that they see as potentially the next guy up, so kind of those two on the same tracks, incredible. Um, there's a there's another really interesting fact that I learned recently, which is about um, the warning. So again, that's another kind of similar one where it's like a bit of a conversational piece. Yeah, yeah. And, and the lyric is, and I'm, I'm going to quote here, so I'm going to drop an N-bomb just to, to warn you. So the, the lyric is, Remember them niggas from the hill up in Brownsville that you rolled dice with, smoked blunts and got nice with Yemen nigger fame up in Prospect? The fame he's referring to is Lil Fame from MOP. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's cool, right? And I saw, I saw Lil Fame talking about this and he was like, yeah, we were essentially just friends before we, either of us had a rap career. We were just friends who used to hang out and we, we talked a little bit about music and then when I heard the album, someone was like, yo, yo Big's talking about you on his new album. And I was like, I've got to listen to this. And it's like, because it initially sounds like it's a bit of a diss and then yeah, the yeah. next verse is kind of saying, no, not them. He wouldn't do that sort of thing. And I just thought that was really interesting, yeah, kind of a little bit of hip-hop folklore. people were around for ages. They're one of those yeah. groups who... You know, just were around forever. And a lot. I'm gonna reference our big brother a lot because he's like, the, he's a proper encyclopedia of hip hop. Not yeah, me. yeah. Um, he'd talk about MOP, you know, the mashup posse. You know, yeah. they're, gonna, they're gonna be the next big thing. And this is around the time when Biggie's album was out. Yeah. Well. So, 
No, I had no idea about that. Yeah, I, I found that like amazing. Like, I love stuff like that anyway. When there's, you know, like little featured artists and you think I don't know who that was, and it turns out to be a big artist yeah. or someone's producing it. You didn't realise it was them. Stuff like that I, I find amazing. I'm a, a really big MOP fan, uh, and you're right, they have been around forever. I saw a clip the other day, a How About Some Hardcore video, yeah. and Billy Danzine. I didn't recognise him. He was so skinny, <laughs> and I, I just always think of him as just being big old yeah, boys. Yeah, yeah. But he was like a skinny, like really good looking bloke, and I was just like, that can't be like can't be him. I couldn't believe it when. When they had hits later on, I mean, mm. what they had, Anti Up and Cold's Eyes, yeah. It's like, damn, these guys have been around for. Yeah. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna say I know loads about them beforehand, yeah. but I knew of them. Yeah. And just you know, fair play. Well, yeah, man. definitely. I, I think that that's, that's boxing walkout music as well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, Cold as so basically, I went to Ibiza in the summer, and we went to this random like it's like one of these like new funky things that like apparently the youngsters are into, which is like bingo. But it's supposed to be cool now. I've got so that like, box park at Memby. It's, it's mad. Yeah, and this was mad. Like, I can't remember what it was called, but it was crazy. It was a lot of fun. And one of the things that like, introduced the prize, and they had cold as ice. So you've got this like incredible sound system. Yeah. Like, it was S Paradise, incredible sound system. And as soon as it's that cold as <laughs> and my hair on my arm was going, I was like, fucking hell, I am ready for it, mate. Get me in the ring. I'll, I will smash up anyone. I was buzzing. I was like, yes, what just a tune. Yeah. I was like, oh, let's just smash everyone up and see how we get on. Um, yeah, incredible. Just, yeah. Blows me away. Amazing. Um, okay, so yeah, we mentioned kind of briefly when we were talking about the stats, like some of the producers on this album, um, and we've, we've kind of talked a little bit about Premiere, but have you got any favourite like instrumentals, favourite beats from this album that you just think, actually, the instrumental alone is amazing? God, there's so many. There's so many, isn't there? I think um, the what? Yeah. The, the what? I like, I, like, I like the beat for that a lot. Yeah. Unbelievable is iconic. Yeah. Um, those are the two that, that, that spring to mind yeah. Immediately. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing with Big Popper and um, and Juicy is that they both sample songs from from the eighties. Yeah. Um, I think um, what is it? Zoom Two Me that um, Juicy samples. Yeah, it's, that's it. So it's kind of just re, just rehashing the beat. I mean, it is. If you ever hear the uh, and Two Me original. It's also called Juice, Juicy Fruit. Yeah, it's called Juicy Fruit. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Like, there's nothing different about it, except for it doesn't have big on it. Yeah, I mean, um, but, and at the time, that was almost frowned upon as such, yeah. you know, like, no, it's not original, and they're just kind of singing over someone else's beat, but, yeah, I think Unbelievable and The What are the two that stand out to me. Yeah, it's a good chat. I mean, from a, like, beat point of view, yeah, I think that the two sample, like, Juicy, uh, I mean, yeah, like we said about it, it's, it's basically exactly the same. The big popper one uh, is Isley Brothers. Yeah. And, I mean, you could do, essentially, an entire podcast on Isley Brothers' famous samples in hip-hop. Yeah. Like, so many, like, Today Was A Good Day um, is okay, Isley yeah. Brothers' Footsteps In The Dark. Big Popper is also Isley Brothers' Between The Sheets. And again, like, he, you know, the production on it, they haven't changed a lot. But it makes you realise, like, Isley Brothers, for me, would be well up there in terms of all-time great artists. Like, they are phenomenal. Yeah. And I think it's just as a little side note, what their sort of contribution to hip hop shouldn't be forgotten because they've they contributed seem, so many. They do seem a bit forgotten about yeah. in, in the pantheon of, of old soul groups. Um, one thing that just sprung to mind, I really want to say before the podcast started, was yeah. um, so one more chance. Yeah. Um, we all know, we're all aware of the, the remix. Yeah. And to be fair, I think everyone should know the rest of that. Yeah. Because everyone just knows, everyone just knew the song. Yeah. So. The single comes out one more time. The remix comes out. I don't. I barely remember the fucking original. It was one of the songs that wasn't on the vinyl, I think. So yeah. probably why I didn't really remember it. And then the single comes out. Like, this is amazing. What's yeah. this? Yeah. You know, yeah. And then you, when the video comes out, it's got 
Faith Evans, Aaliyah, the Brat, yeah. Mary J. Blige, Boston, everyone's in this video. Well, yeah. What the fuck is this? The remix is such oh, a it's, tune. It's ridiculous. And that Versace Shade watching you. I'm fucking you. Yeah, oh, amazing. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's amazing. Yeah, that's true. I wonder, and again, it's, it's been an interesting uh, kind of feature. It's like when the remix surpasses the original, because yeah. that is 100% one of those cases. Because One More Chance is fine. It's yeah. a fine rec like fine tune, but um, the other remix is like, it's on another level. <laughs> it absolutely shits on it. The single, yeah. the single came out ages after the album came out yeah. as well. That's how I think. They might, they might have re-released it with Who Shot You and, and that. Yeah, One More Chance came out in 1995, and the first, the Juicy came out in August 94. So yeah, it's almost like a full year yeah, later, yeah, which yeah. is quite late, isn't it? Yeah, moment? I bought the single, £6.99. Can you imagine spending that much on the single? <laughs> no, £6.99, that's ridiculous. Where did you go? Our price, HMV. Might be, I might have one of them shops in Harlesden, Starlight Records, I think that's still there. <laughs> Mate, this is some old school OG <laughs> shit right shit. now. We get the 18 bucks on the Halston. <laughs> but um, oh, classic. But yeah, now um, yeah, Biggie just transcended so much. Mm. I listened to the album earlier on this week, and I felt I thought that was one of those songs that sounded a bit dated. It sounded a beat and the whole sound. Because mm. the 90s, you know, we talk about the winds, but there yeah. are a lot of stuff that just sounds very dated now. Yeah. Something I've thought about. I don't know if you even got this crested, but um, you just think how would Biggie manage now and the. Mm. In the age of social justice and me too and that because you know man's got he's, he's shagging the bird of the art, isn't he? That's fair face. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is, at the time I thought it was corny. I still think it's a bit corny now. Yeah. But back then, I think Big Punisher did it as well, and it's just common. Yeah, for sure. It's just getting ahead of the bloody novel. Well, like, yeah, no problem, no problem at all. <laughs> the thing is, I think it's 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 one of those things, and like we've spoken about it weirdly on uh, Spurs podcast, Fighting Cock, which is that like hip hop. Uh, kind of now has, has become a little bit more conscious, although some of it I think is even worse than it was in the 90s. Um, but I know some of the older rappers are now taking or changing some of the lyrics. I think, was it, you and I talking about Nas? Nas did it for half time. Yeah. So I think, you know, there, there is a consciousness from, from some quarters of hip hop, which is like, you know, where I was when I was 18, 19, when I was recording these albums to what I think now is different. So... I think there is that space, but yeah, someone like Biggie, I mean, it's hard to tell. He was a very young man when he was making these albums. Yeah, so. yeah it's interesting. Um, okay, mate, well, we're talking about kind of Biggie now, how would he do now, but where does he rank kind of in hip-hop history for you? Because I saw um, Chris Rock, I can't remember what show it was on, whether it was Sway in the Morning, I think, and he was basically saying, as much as I love Biggie, he shouldn't be uh, in people's top fives because he only had one album when he was alive he only really had two albums worth of material, so we never really got to see more than just that that amount of material can't really qualify you for it. So I kind of feel like he's kind of automatically always in people's list of best rappers ever, but I just yeah. kind of wanted to know what your thoughts about it were. Really. The thing of the top five in hip-hop is so subjective. Is it, um, is it the top five MCs? Is it the top five careers? Yeah. Because... Um, if you're going to top five careers, you'd have to have Jay-Z in it. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be in my personal top five. Yeah. For example, and then you have someone like Kuru G Rap, who's always be in mine. Yeah. But a lot of the arms he's made aren't very good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so how do you do it? I mean, Biggie's impact, once again, it's like, it's like Michael Jordan in basketball. Michael mm -hmm. Jordan was, had a long, successful career. Sure. But the way Biggie changed hip-hop is massive. It's yeah. massive. In terms of influence, in terms of... Um, the whole swag, the way people make albums, he changed, he changed all of that. Yeah. So, and hip hop is, is a young genre really, it's only been going, mm, it's, true. it's only been in its current form for the last 40 years, you know, and you got like rock and roll and R&B, which has been going since the 50s and 40s, hip hop is, is it's a very fledgling genre, mm. and 
acts from the 80s and 90s are going to be it's going to be weighted heavily towards them um, mm. yeah, I don't true. know I mean I think a more interesting thing would be the top 5 MCs since the year 2000 yeah that be, that's interesting that would be yeah. something that would be a lot more competitive and even then who, who, do, you, who do you say I mean I'd yeah. probably pick MF Doom yeah. to be at least one of them that's fair but um, yeah. it's, it's, it's a difficult one um but top five for me. Um, yeah, what would your because I we asked this like of people before, and uh, to clarify, it's your your personal favourite. So you could just have your mate who you think's amazing. Yeah. It doesn't need to be who you think's the best or best career. Just your personal favourite top um, five. Is it a five that comes to my mind now? Um, be Ghostface Killer, Ghostface Killer, Cool G, Rap, Ice Cube, Nas, um, probably Rakim. That's strong. That that'd be my. But they're all from New York. They're all from, all yeah. from the same side. Um, got people like Andre Three Thousand. Yeah. And the people look at him as um, you know, someone who dresses fluidly um, yeah. to put it to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. But he's got. He's, Star, a, he's a ridiculous MC. I mean, his verse in Elevators was oh, yeah. just just amazing. But those are the five. I just think Ice Cube is someone who, who you know, did all his did all his dirty stuff early on, and now he's mm. now he's in films like Are We There Yet? But mm. man did four. <laughs> Banging arms in a row and in hip hop, you don't get that. Yeah, and also like you know, let's not forget the, the amount of writing that he was doing for NWA and yeah. the, and you know the kind of level of breakthrough that they'd achieved and changed hip hop. And he was essentially the core component. Him and Dre were the core component to that being a success. So. And you know, you've got you got um, Ghostface Killer who's fifty this year, wow. and <laughs> and if he makes an arm, you pay attention. Yeah, of course. Um, I, mean, I mean, no offense to Ice Cube. I think Ice Cube might have done an album that was actually quite good recently. But yeah. When you hear Big Daddy Kane doing an album, you think, oh, whatever. Mm. But when Ghostface is doing an album, you, you all. It's still an event. And listen, you did, did yeah. an album with um, Bad, Bad, Not Good, Sour Soul. Yeah. That was a couple of years ago. It's still amazing. So yeah. Ghostface has remained relevant since '93, and that in itself is. Yeah. And, um, and that's for Cool G Rap. He's just, he's just Big L. Yeah. You know, without, without Cool G Rap, there'd be no Big L. So from that point, we've got to have him. Um, Nas has had a bit of an up and down career, but when Nas is on it, he, he's on it. Um, yeah. You talked yeah. about um, Eye for an Eye on your last pod. Yeah. And I just absolutely murdered that verse over and over <laughs> and over again. Just loved this verse. And then you had um, Nas with Cool G rap on, um, was it Fast Life? Another amazing verse. But then you had Verbal Intercourse on the yeah, way Um Yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of my reasoning for those. Yeah, mate. I mean, the thing is, we're, we're, when it's... It's easier as well to not have to argue because it's not like who's had the best career because then you can always debate it and throw different well, things in. Jay Z, Eminem. Yeah, and exactly. The other people who I just can't think of. Yeah, exactly. Commercially successful people, but that's why I think the personal, like the top five, your personal favorites, is is a better and easier metric because ultimately then you can explain why you find them yeah. interesting and there's no. There's no opinion, essentially. Like I've got nothing to offer to that because I'm just like, well, that's fair enough. That's why, unless you said someone like nutty, like <laughs> Vanilla Ice, which is exceptional, <laughs> and, and MC Hammer was incredible, then I would be, you know, maybe have umbrage with that. Maybe in Contreras, um, I try and I try to appreciate stuff in modern hip hop because what you hear a lot is that like, hip hop is not what it was anymore. It's not like yeah. it was in the nineties. There's a lot of crap out in the nineties as well. I mean, yeah. People forget that. You only hear you hear the good. There's a lot of rubbish out there, and. Hip hop is not something. Hip hop is not a monolith. It's made yeah. up of many little parts. You've got East Coast, West Coast, South. You've got the backpacking, the underground. You've got the more. You've got even even UK coming up in, in the game now. Mm. And um, I don't think hip hop will ever die. It, it'll evolve, but it'll, it'll never die. Yeah, and I think it has evolved. If you look at, I mean, we've spoken about it before. I'm I'm very much still on that boom bap '90s style. Even for like modern artists that are, yeah, the beats have changed. Like the approach has changed. You know, like I, I really rate J. Cole 
and I listened to some of his stuff, and most of the the instrumentals are fairly new, <coughs> excuse me, new sounding, trappy kind of vibe. But but he's still in my mind. I can understand exactly what the tracks are saying. I understand exactly what his approach is. There's a story, you know, like the uh, track Neighbors. I think sort of the All Eyes on Me album is about how he moved into a kind of essentially a white neighborhood and a suburb, and because he was having his friends over to the crib, his neighbors thought essentially that they were selling drugs or must be drug dealers because yeah, yeah. so and the and the you know the whole concept of that song is really clear to me and that to me is that's what I would consider real hip hop yeah. because it's not about necessarily the sound it's just about what you're talking about it's important for me so when I hear you know rappers just talking about you know sleeping pills and drugs and stuff that's just to me a little bit false and a bit kind of showy and empty yeah I, that's the stuff the modern stuff that i just cannot it just doesn't resonate for, with me for me that's just those those type of it's more of a vibe more yeah, than the lyrics it's, it's just a vibe it's like um there are some songs that don't say anything but if you're in the club and it comes in like i'll have, have a bit of this yeah you know um i guess the modern day mc that i love the most would be blue massive yeah. blue, massive blue fan and He's not only suffer from the Kooji rap, and he's made so much content, but mm. some of the beat selection is just, it's not the best. So the two albums did, did of Exile. I was going to say, yeah. I'd, I'd recommend those those highly. Yeah, what's that? Is it a Heaven or a um, One is Below the Heavens. Below the Heavens, that's it. And that's the really second good. one is Give Me My Flowers and I Can Still Smell Them. Said that about <laughs> Harry Kane on the, the, the Wildcat podcast. Very good. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, the Below the Heavens one is um, is really, is really very, very good. Yeah. So yeah, I'd recommend that. Um, okay, well, look, we're just going to have a quick break and then we're going to get into a little uh, little pop quiz uh, and then we'll just wrap up the pod with a few of your questions. So stay with us. Just a uh, quick message just to say thank you for everyone for listening to uh, Notorious P.O.D. Uh, I know Gaz and I really appreciate it and um, it amazes us every time when we look at the numbers of people that listen to the show. So thank you so much for um, sticking with us. We do really appreciate it and I hope you've seen that we are sticking to our promise of keeping the pods coming nice and regular. Uh, We're going to try and get some special guests and some amazing people on too, so stick with us um, and I hope uh, hope you've been enjoying the rides so far. Uh, just wanted to make a quick note, I have another podcast, um, which is slightly different, maybe a little bit more uh, family friendly to a certain extent. It's a podcast called Man's Not What, M-A-N-S-N-O-T-W-H-A-T, I had to think about that one for a minute. Uh, Man's Not What, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, and it's at Man's Not What. Uh, basically, I've got a friend called Holly, she doesn't know anything about anything, she doesn't understand memes, she doesn't understand trends, Twitter, celebrity stuff, what's going on in the world, she just doesn't ever hear about any of it. So we decided to make a podcast where I bring the three most interesting stories from that week and I tell her all about it, and then we have a little bit of fun and some lulls along the way. So I think you might enjoy it, uh, if you'd like to check it out, then um, you can find us on all the same places you can find Notorious P.O.D., so have a little look for Man's Not What. Uh, everywhere you get your podcast, subscribe, rate and review it, uh, and please listen, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, let's get back to Notorious P.O.D. Okay, so now it's time for a little pop quiz. Um, I've researched this very quickly, so if I've made any mistakes here, you can put me right to. Um, so th- I've, got, I've, got three, I've got four questions for you. Uh, they're just true or false, so you can, you can lay it on me, mate. So... Uh, True or false, you can actually hear Notorious B.I.G. receiving oral sex for real on the album, Ready to Die. Oh, fuck. 
I want to say false. Do you know what? It's true. Oh my God. Was it Little Kim? Uh, no. So uh, basically in a Huffington Post interview uh, last year, P. Diddy revealed that Biggie is actually getting head at the end of Respect in the interlude. Um, so they asked him, is Big actually getting some heads? And Diddy responds, yeah. And then laughs. He continued, there are questions that nobody's ever asked and I think Big would be all right with me saying it. <laughs> just, just, the, just the visual is just... Oh, it's just wrong. I like, need mind bleach. Who's got the mic like up close? That's what I'm thinking. Just, <laughs> It's not like now. It's not like we can just have your mobile phone in your pocket and hit the record button. This is '94. There's no mobile phones back then. So the, the producer must have just hit the record button. Yeah. Just... And whose idea was it? Who's going? Do you know what we need? We need someone getting fellatio here. Yeah. That will make the album so much better. And was that was that before me and my bitch? That one. I think it's. Oh, it's the uh, at the end of respect. So oh, I can't remember what order it is okay. in now. But yeah, either way, just ridiculous. So yeah, that is true. So. Sums up what you were saying about would he survive in today. I mean, I imagine the Me Too would have a field day with that. Oh, massive. <laughs> so, yeah, less said about that, the better. Um, okay, so question two. Ready to Die was recorded in just one month. I'm going to go with false again. <laughs> that is false. Um, for that. <laughs> Ready to Die, Give Me the Loot and Things Done Change were recorded in 1993. Um, and you can actually hear Biggie was slightly higher pitched and sound, uh, sounds a little bit more kind of jumpy. and so intense. what are again? Uh, give Me the Loot, Ready to Die and Things Done Changed. Ready to Die does sound a bit more dated. That's one of the tracks I heard. I thought that sounds proper yeah. early '90s. And also that and I'm ready, yeah, yeah, really yeah. great. After a while, yeah. I can't. Yeah, I don't really like that record. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he did those three tracks in '93, and then returned to the studio to record essentially the second half of the album in '94. Yeah. Obviously, when it was released, and you uh, basically, you know, the, the kind of uh, one more chance and some of the tracks he released after. Them, the sound is a little bit more slick. Yeah. And I guess you know if you consider like the what. Where he's with Method Man, like we yeah. were talking about, maybe he's like in a position to step up his game a little bit. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, question three: Biggie attended the same high school as Jay Z, Busta Rhymes, and DMX. I'm gonna go with false. I don't think Biggie met Jay Z, but then they might not have been in the same year because Jay Z was a bit older. So I'm gonna go with false. Well, it's true. Uh, they went to the same high school, not in the same year. So they all attended the same high school, which is the George uh, Westinghouse. Uh, Career and Technical Education High School. Jesus, okay. So that's pretty, pretty good, that's pretty good, good high school. Yeah. Well, it's not knowledge. I had to look it up, but, <laughs> Just <so laughs> but it is now. But it is now. So you can impress your friends with that one if you're listening. Um, okay, number four. Michael Jackson used a Biggie verse on one of his albums. You know what? Yeah, this is a question that had me thinking. Because mm. I think it's false. Okay. Because it was Gorilla Black that was on that song, not Biggie. Okay. So I'm gonna go forward. But then I think maybe on the number one's album they might have put a track on there, the biggie on it. Okay. Well, so according to my research, uh Michael Jackson didn't work with a lot of rappers, but he did request for a chance to work with Biggie on his nineteen ninety five track this time around. Yeah, that's that's Gorilla Black. Okay, so then my that's source it. is false. But I could be one, but I'm ninety nine percent certain that's Gorilla Black. They do look the same and sound very similar. Yeah, but Gorilla Black apparently he in a previous incarnation he's had like DMX. Really? Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, Maybe I'm, wrong. I, I'm wrong all the time. Do you know what? I'm going to check that. This, this that was is my understanding. This time around, Michael Jackson. This, this is some Joe Rogan shit doing live research. <laughs> yeah, well, you, the thing is, because like, you, like, I think about it all the time, actually. You know when you just read, like, articles, and it's, yeah. like, facts. You just, I just take it as read that they've, they've done their research. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe... They haven't, if you know what I mean. I mean, I shouldn't really be plugging other podcasts, especially when I've got nothing to do with it, but there's a podcast called Heat Rocks, which is a similar oh, yeah. concept to this one where they review old school albums. Yeah. And um, 
histories on the albums that they reviewed, and I'm fairly certain they said on that 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 was Gorilla Black on that verse. Well, I'm pleased to announce that that other podcast, which you mentioned on my podcast, <laughs> is wrong. They're wrong? A- according to Wikipedia, This Time Around is a song by American recording artist and songwriter Michael Jackson yeah. that features the vocals from the rapper Notorious B.I.G. But that is according to Wikipedia, which is editable. So, it is editable. We'll so see. what I did, which you didn't know, is edited it an hour earlier. So <laughs> when you asked me this, that I would look correct. So yeah, according to this, it's, it's correct. I don't that's know if there's any more info about Biggie on there, but um, yeah. So that's fine. I mean, if it is, I, I mean, I was told it, I, I found out, I heard it, it wasn't, but... but... It's one of them, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if that was true. But yeah, according to that, it's, uh, it is a true story. Michael that Jackson used to be... Yeah, it's all right, isn't um, it? Do you know what I was going to say for my Desert Island album? Or the one that oh, yeah. I was going to say bad. Yeah. But because there's a documentary coming out about Michael Jackson, yeah. this pod might age badly if, if you know, it turns out that these things are true. <sighs> I don't think it is. It's so difficult, isn't it? Like We're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but the whole, the whole um, cancel culture, like R. Kelly's cancelled now, we can't listen to him, we can't do it. I, and I totally understand that, because essentially when you buy or listen to stream music, you are funding that person yeah. who's done the despicable stuff. <laughs> But it is very difficult from just purely an artistic point of view to go, well, I, I still like the song. I can't help but enjoy the song. And I think it's difficult with Jackson because as we stand today, he's never been proved guilty of anything. Yeah. So it's really hard. Like, there's a lot of allegations, but we either have to live in a society where you are innocent until proven guilty or yeah. not. And I think it's hard with him. I think the difference of R. Kelly is that he perpetuated the crimes that he exactly. committed. So exactly. Michael Jackson's songs weren't really sexual or aggressive yeah. in any real nature, so it's yeah. not, he's not lording the crime on our faces. I mean, you know, be, it, I, don't, I don't think he did that. I think they're just doing it for money, but, yeah. you know, I guess, I guess we'll see. I mean, I guess if they cancel culture, it's up to you what you want to do. Yeah, right? don't, I mean, if you want to listen to it, but don't, I do have an issue with people saying, oh, well, um, you know, R. Kelly's innocent, because come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> come on. <laughs> let's, let's, don't bug yourself, man. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, that, that is one of those ones where it's like, oh, here's 100 million people saying that he's done it. He's, yeah. he's up on stage. Here's a million like images of him yeah. like doing inappropriate shit on stage live and not giving a fuck. Yeah. Nah, he seems like a nice guy. Just say, not... just say you still like the music and you still listen to it. Don't yeah. try and... Yeah, exactly. Like, because I, I still have it on... Because I, I did think about it. I was like, should I take his stuff off my playlist? And I was like, well, I, I wouldn't play it publicly now. Like, it, when I do radio shows and stuff like that, would I play it? Probably not, because... Other people feel that way and it might get a negative reaction. But are there certain songs that I still listen to and enjoy in my own time? Yeah, probably, if I'm being brutally honest. And it's the same with, particularly with hip-hop. You will struggle to find an artist who hasn't done something that I don't agree with. Yeah. So if I did that and applied the same kind of you know moral code to all rappers that I enjoy, I would literally have nothing to listen the to. The first ever single I bought was Bump and Grind. Oh, really? Yeah. See, that's a lot less embarrassing than the first single I ever bought, which yeah. was Spice Up Your Life by Spice Girls. It's a tune that's fucking... It's an absolute banger, yeah, it I'm, I'm not having it. I mean, that, you know what? That, that's kind of aged well. Cause yeah. Like, I mean, people are laughing at them, but now you've got like, you know, Mate. two becomes one. Tell you, man, that's, that's, that's a banger. Mate, so, um, yeah. what's I that? that shit. Holla, uh, yeah, Holla. I wanna make what you What, you jerkers produced that? That is a tune, oh, mate. Royalty, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. There you go, there you Big go. tune. So yeah, looking back, uh, I thought it was embarrassing. And then, so I followed it up with buying Blur's uh, album, Park Life album. Okay. And I was like, okay, because at that time I like just listened to anything. I didn't yeah. really know what like kind of music was. Um, so yeah, I had a very eclectic, horrendous taste. And the first gig I ever went to was All Saints. <laughs> what, have they done so, that at the time? Uh, yeah, that was literally like, like their big flagship. Yeah, and it was Wembley Arena. 
seen my, it. My first ever gig was a Tribe Called Quest at the Forum in 1994. Right. 93. At the Forum, Kentish Town, they'd done Midnight Marauders of a Zat Tour. Yeah, so you obviously couldn't get tickets to All Saints then? So no, yeah. no, it was all sold out, man. I mean, you know, back then it didn't have dub up and all that, so... <laughs> Just had to make do with what, what <laughs> you could do. Had to make do a Tribe Called Quest, bloody hell. Yeah. Oh, mate, that's, yeah. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? This is why it's, it's good to have you on here because, you know, for as much as I love the culture and I've tried to kind of kind of understand and, and retrospectively look and, and research and understand more about it, living through and, and seeing those artists in their peak yeah. and their pinnacle must have been an amazing thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I saw Biggie in yeah. the concert and tried to have memories of me. I mean, it's 24 years ago, so I don't Bloody remember yeah. song by song. Um but it was him, Biggie and Craig Mack, it was the one at Hammersmith Palais, which yeah. is things of either a fire station or something else. Um, yeah, right. But no, it was, a, it was an amazing concert. He came up, the, I think Biggie Puffy was handing out um, bottles of, bottle of champagne around the crowd, ever taking the swig and passing it on, couldn't wow. do it now. Um, Biggie didn't do a stage dive, sadly, but, um, <laughs> but no, it was, it, it, was a really, it was a really good gig. Um, yeah. The one person I didn't see who passed away was Goo. I never, I never saw Gangstar. Yeah, I would. I mean, there's, there's a few people, and that's the thing. I, I'm sort of desperate to see as many artists as I can when they come and tour here now because that's, they yeah. are getting old. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I was the same way. Um, because I went for, I just, I just see almost everyone in the night, and mm. I had a bit of a hiatus. And now I try and make a point of seeing people while I can or while I can afford them. I think for while, sure. we, while we were on the break, I talked about Kendrick Lamar. Um, yeah, yeah. You'd be paying 70 quid to see him now. Um, I saw him at Electric Ballroom after he did Section 80, and the ticket was less than 20 quid. I mean, it's and, incredible, isn't it? You know, and I got to see him, and glad I did, because he's yeah, yeah. just stratospheric. Absolutely. I think that's, it is really important, because we live in a world where everything's so accessible. You've got, like, you know, streaming services, you've got YouTube performances, you can... You know, a lot of the bigger artists, they will like record their concert and you can go and watch it and all this. Yeah. But there is nothing quite like going to see these people like in person, that, yeah. that moment. And I think it's, it's, I guess it's losing a little bit, unless you get the moments like, like you said there when you saw Kendrick before he really blew up. Is They become like moments in time. Like if you go to a particular gig and you yeah. see particularly like American artists coming here, they might, the first time they come here, and then they become the biggest artists in the world. If you've seen that gig, like that is a moment in time. No, it's like an yeah. amazing thing to be a part of. I think no matter what technology you have, obviously you've got people filming gigs on their phones now. You can't, you can't replace the feeling of seeing your favourite artist come up, just come up on stage yeah. and start performing in front totally. of you. You know, um, you can't beat that at all. I think, I think the last gig I went to was Planet Asia, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not an expert. I mean, he's been around since yeah, the early '90s. He did yeah. tracks with um, with Vascast and that. Yeah, and. It was just amazing to see them, you know, yeah, Jazz Cafe, yeah. just just right there in front of me. Jazz Cafe's a great venue, isn't it? Have you, have you been there in this recent... I've been there, over? we went there, was it last year? To see like a, um, you know they do these uh, kind of orchestra versions of stuff. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, well I went to see a Dilla one, yeah. and that was perfect because it kind of worked with his instrumentation yeah. and stuff like that. But I've, I've seen like a Wu-Tang one, a Biggie one... They're okay. They don't really. I just think it's getting a bit, it's getting a bit too much now. Yeah. They're just doing it for everyone, and they're kind of putting their faces. Yeah, and then you're thinking you're going to see the artist, and obviously yeah. suckers are dead, so you can't. But yeah, yeah. So for example, they've got D'Angelo's face on the on the post. Oh, I can see D'Angelo. Yeah, and exactly. Like, it's a bloody orchestra. Just fuck. It's just that. some subpar bloke seeing like brown sugar, and you're like, no, mate, just no. stop it. And um, I saw him live. I've not seen him. Mate, if you get the chance, I was terrified because it was a couple of years ago and obviously I had all these problems, personal yeah. problems with alcohol and stuff. 
and I was terrified because I saw a couple of clips of like gigs he'd done in like Sweden and stuff, yeah, yeah. and he was like, he, he saw glimmers of yeah. his former power and his range, and then every so often he'd be a little bit flat and he was he wasn't looking great, and then six months later when the gig came, I was like, oh my god, if this isn't good, it's going to crush me because I'm a massive D'Angelo fan, Same. I'm obsessed with him, and uh, he comes out on stage and he just does a piece on the piano. Um, how does it feel, basically? He just does that on the piano, just him and his voice. And the power and the range was there. Yeah. And you know when you're just like, yes, I'm goosebumps. so glad. Yeah, it was goosebumps. Oh, man. Last year, I had tickets for a concert of his and it got cancelled. Yeah, I saw so that. I was, I've still not seen him. Um, oh, man. He did a gig at Jazz Cafe back in 96. And that's on CD now. Yeah, um, you can get it on um, Spotify as well. But I couldn't get a ticket for that for that gig. £10. I couldn't afford it. And it sold out. <laughs> Tragic. Anyway, let's get back to talk about Biggie's Mark. I'd have gone on the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're going to... So one of the things we've, we've talked about for doing a while is obviously it's kind of the podcast started with classic hip-hop albums. But yeah. really, like, the kind of way that we talk about the albums is very loose. We don't go into a lot of technical detail. And I think there's a, a lot of people who love hip-hop who also love R&B and who yeah. love soul music or who love, like, lots of different styles of, of, of genres and stuff. So we're going to do some other specials that will be about other albums. So yeah. we should maybe do D'Angelo, mate, because both of us being massive fans. Of God, yeah, be. I'd love to see him. Yeah, he, honestly, if you get the chance, like, it, I know you had tickets before, but, yeah, if they come up again, definitely go because oh, it was insane. See, I saw Maxwell, and that was cheap. Yeah. I saw Maxwell at the forum when he just did Urban Hang Suite, and that was amazing. Yeah, I bet. I'd love Valentine's to see Valentine's Day, him. went to a mate of mine, a bloke, but we had, I had to see him with a <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just going. Yeah, mate. Oh, Maxwell is, uh, like, ridiculous. Absolutely amazing. His, um, like, his live performance, uh, his version of This Woman's Work, yes. is one of the best vocal performances you will ever see. And you can get it on YouTube, and you can actually get it on Spotify. It's MTV Unplugged, isn't it? Yeah, it's on his live album. Yeah. That's probably the top five gigs I've ever been to. Yeah, but... This is, 24, this is 25 years of gigs, and that's the top five. So Boom. Maxwell's in New York City... See him. You go and see him. There you go. You had the official uh, stamp of approval by yeah. T. Um, okay, let's get back into um, Ready to Die real quick. Um, mate, do you have a favourite lyric or particular verse from this album that really you always just like, yes, this is fucking one? God, I'm not going to remember the verse. But I think it might be an unbelievable. I think it's something like change my style for no one. For no one. Yeah, that's the last line though, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's his verse in Unbelievable. Um... It's a live this one, the, the style. Yeah, yeah. So I just love, I love the whole flow on that track. And, yeah. Um, I'm really bad for remembering this. Back in the night, I remember everything. Yeah. Back then, the songs over and over and over again. Now, you hear songs once or twice, you don't remember the lyrics, but unbelievable. I just love the flow on it. And um, yeah, that's that. It's live from Bed for Stuyvesant, the liveest one, representing VK to the fullest, Gats a Pull It. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, a yeah. fucking verse, man. That's, that, that's, that's, probably, that's probably my favourite verse. And yeah. Unbelievable got battered on the Tim Westwood show. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it'd have to be that first. Yeah, mate, that's fair enough. I, I have kind of two. One is um, from Machine Gun Funk, which is that. The rocket launcher, Biggie Stauncher, <laughs> high as a motherfucking helicopter. Like, that is just savage. And I also really like um, the opening like lines to Who Shot You? Because you have that really long intro, and it like, builds up, yeah. And then it just, like, separate the wheat from the obsolete, hard to creep than Brooklyn streets, it's on. Fuck all that bickering beef. I yeah. can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Like it's just the flow is so punchy. The thing like. with that song, that beat was first heard on the Mary J. Blige album, My Life. It was yeah. an interlude. It was a the Keith Murray interlude. Yeah. Because um he did that verse on fuck. Oh, I'm gonna forget the song now. But he that so basically on, on, on the Mary J. Blige album, My Life, there's, there's an interlude called a Keith Murray interlude, and he raps over that beat. So when I heard it, made you feel like, oh my god, this beat's amazing! I can't yeah, wait yeah. to really hear it. Yeah, so, it's, it's so cool. That down, 
Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. yeah, 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 some fucking amazing beats. That motherfuckers. That's, yeah. that's one of the best beats ever. In yeah. Up there, like, like, come clean, who shot you? That's, that's up there. Yeah, for definite. It's, it's, it's an absolute banger. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, well, we mentioned before about The What, and you were saying how much you enjoyed it as a, as a like, track, and in terms of their, like, Method Man and Biggie's kind of collaboration on that. Yeah. It's amazing. And um, we actually had a. I actually got sent something from Cal, who's uh, kind of listens to the show regularly. He's also on Below the Belt, friend of Fighting Cock. Yeah. Um, it's a little article about Method Man essentially being the greatest, like essentially the rap feature goat. Yeah, I saw, I saw the post. He sent it to me as well. Yeah. And I've not read it in full because it's like a massive thesis. Yeah. So essentially, all these songs yeah. Method Man is featured on. So I'll, I'll give you the very like oh, brief version, but essentially it's yeah, it's like a discussion topic on Reddit. Like Method Man is the rap feature goat. So essentially, he's done. Features for both, like Tupac and Biggie, yep. which I guess elevates you immediately because that is kind of quite impressive to be able to to have done that. Um, and also, it's interesting because apparently Raekwon and Ghostface had a minor feud with Biggie around the same time. Yeah, it's about the whole um, Who's King, the King, of, of New York. King of New York and yeah. all that um, bling bling shit. I think it's in um, Shark Shark Biters on the Raekwon album, um, talking about. Still Nas's album cover, having the baby picture on the front of the yeah, album. Yeah, so, yeah. Ah, that's interesting. That's, that's a nugget for you. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah, so uh, And then he's also on uh, Onyx, The Worst, um, yeah. which that track's great. I love that. Um, he's also on uh, D'Angelo's um, Neo Soul, the follow-up, the second album, uh, Voodoo, uh, yeah. Left and Right with Redman. Yeah, he's on Makeups and Breakups as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's just like... And he's also... Uh, so the, the other article is uh, he's also still on like modern um, records, so he's on uh, JID's DiCaprio Two album, which is I quite like that album. Actually. Yeah, it's That's pretty quite decent. Good. That. Um, he's also on Limp Bizkit album, so again like crossing over into different genres. Um, obviously Wu Tang solo projects. Uh, he's been featured on some of the other tracks on there, like Shadow Boxing, uh, Ice Cream. I saw I saw that I saw that happen live, and it was an, it was amazing. It was a, insane. It was a genius gig. At the Equinox in Leicester Square, and Method Man was just in the country at the time, and they both did shadow boxing. Oh and um, yeah, yeah, that was that's, that is that was another quote of my Method yeah. Man's verse in that you know, breaks it down to the burn gristle, all heat is gun missile, heat seeking, Johnny Blazer, Nat, Mr. Wes Craven, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, so that that, that feature is probably his best one, yeah, and that, and that's. Basically, the essence of this article is it lists loads of other stuff of all his features, but it's a good shout. Like he's he's pretty incredible. My, I think my, I would throw Snoop in the mix because I just feel like whenever he's on a record, it's sort of as soon as he comes in. I guess it's it's a lot about with both of them. It's a lot about their voice. Yeah. It's so distinctive that like when you hear them on a track, like yeah. instantly you're like, yes, this is going to be fucking. I great. think Snoop did a verse on a Jay Z track. Is it something to do with Miami? When I get to Miami or something? It's on the Dynasty album, and. Once again, I can't forget, I can't remember his lyrics, yeah. but I remember, <laughs> yeah. it. I remember it, I remember a really good verse on that. Yeah. But Snoop's another one who just transcends time. Yeah, totally. You know, he doesn't sound, doesn't sound dated at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, someone like Fidel Cool J makes a new album, you wouldn't be, he'd probably have loads of features on it. Yeah. But um, someone like Snoop, he'll still sound kind of, he just follow, not so much that he, he jumps on trends or bandwagons, but because before he collaborated with Pharrell, he was in a bit of a... Um, it's a, a bit of a weird place, yeah. um, Obviously, a couple of years prior, he did, um, did Still Dre and that, with yeah. Dr. Dre, but it's in a bit of a lull. And, you know, and, and Pharrell was massive at the time, and then he just dropped it like a top, which... Yeah, blew up. <laughs> exactly, and then, you know, yeah. 
the beautiful yeah it was that R&G rhythm and gangster yeah, album that yeah was... the beautiful of Pharrell as well so yeah yeah I think Snoop's another one another good shot for that I guess I don't know who approached who like did, do you reckon that Snoop sees what Pharrell's doing at that time and goes actually I need to work with him or maybe Pharrell I know that he wanted to work with like people like ODB and stuff yeah. like that and was trying to push some of these older artists so it's interesting to know kind of who does what well, in terms of why they have that legacy and why I it think, continues I think we all know the Pharrell story with, with Michael Jackson in that he had a oh couple my of God, songs yeah, written justified, him, yeah. he had a couple of songs written for him and one of them was did after call by Usher and the other yeah. one was Rocky Body yeah. so he might have just done that and then he did the same thing with Noriega because yeah. so, Noriega must was flying to Miami he said look this tape play it when you land in Miami because yeah. you'll get it yeah. and then you know Noriega talking about it and the helicopter talking about the Philippines yeah. so maybe Maybe it's just Snoop said, look, you know, I've got Drop It Like It's I've got this concept here, yeah. give it a listen, see what you think of it, and it might be that way. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, just generally, like, where the producers approach artists, because I know, um, talking about Big, I know on um, Ten Crack Commandments, that instrumental was actually made for Juru, Damager. That sounds about right. Yeah, and apparently, um, <laughs> so they were in the, in the studio at D&D, uh, Preem, uh, Jeru, and Puffy was there for whatever reason, probably talking about like preparing stuff for the second album. Yeah. And they, he hears the instrumental and just kind of goes, uh, "We need to like have that instrumental." <laughs> and Preem's just like, "Well, what do you mean? I've like kind of agreed it already." And and Jeru and Biggie were kind of friendly anyway, so Jeru was like, "Okay, fine." And basically charged Puffy like an extortionate amount on top of what he'd already paid Premier. Yeah. And and sold in the beat, but he's like, look, I want like now, I want something off of you. So apparently there was some shady, underhanded deal between the two of them, like big big payoff essentially. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's really interesting. But that um, that record is one of my favourite Biggie records. I saw Jay Rubin right. concert a couple of years ago because um, I mean most people in and around London have heard of Doctor's Orders. They're putting really good hip hop nights. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it might have been might have been Blue XL and Jay Rubin was there amongst them, and Jeez. it was good because I yeah. think Jay Rubin. Primo fell out for a long time. They kind of got they're kind of matey now. That's Big good. Primo's left to his sister or something bad oh, like shit. that. <laughs> yeah, Prim, Prim's uh, to me is just like he's he's one of those we should celebrate him in the culture. Like he's just an absolute Godly. legend in the game. Yeah, and he did the track with um, Christina Aguilera. Uh, Ain't no other man. Yeah, well, he actually um, executive produced the whole album. See, like that's unbelievable. There you go. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, I've won, like, because we were talking in an interview, I think it was like uh, a couple of years ago, and he was like, yeah, because I've won Grammys, and I was thinking, oh, it'd be interesting to know what the Grammys were for, and it was like, for Christina Aguilera, like, all go. the shit he's done, and he's won it for that. Um, okay, well, look, just a quick reminder, all the tracks we talk about uh, on every episode, we put them on a Spotify playlist, if you just search for the Notorious Podcast Joints, um, you'll find it on there, so all the Biggie tracks and some of the other ones we mentioned, um, we'll add that to there, so you can just have a, a list of some classic hip-hop. Um, just got a couple of questions. Someone's kind of mentioned to us here uh, a guy called At Pontification. Why do you think Tupac and Biggie were so fascinated with death? That theme permeates throughout their musical career. Was it their neighbourhoods, their life growing up that shaped this? What do you think the reasons were, considering they were so young? As I well? thought about the question. Um, <clears throat> I might have been coincidental with Biggie, I'm not sure. But I might have been a Kanye arresting with Biggie in that. So Kanye's first son was college dropout when he did late registration and he was a graduation. Yeah. So everybody was ready to die after death and maybe that's yeah, the concept. Yeah, maybe it's a thematic thing, yeah. Now, Tupac, on the other hand, he was very obsessed with death because um, I am a manager. We all, you know, the video is dressed in all white. You know, he's, um, in his, I think it's, um, he's like an angel in this video, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, because he's massively into Machiavelli. Yeah. Um, the Prince, he read that book. 
you know, kind of being better yourself based on that book, you know, talking about, you know, stages of power and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, why, did, why were they obsessed with death? I don't, know, I don't know, I guess Biggie probably thought he faced it so many times, you know, selling all those drugs. Yeah. Tupac's difficult to tell, because Tupac started out as quite woke, and then he kind of <laughs> evolved into... <laughs> yeah, it went from, like, Afrocentric to kind of just straight fucking gangster. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's really, both of them, it's really interesting why they picked that particular route, but, um, yeah. yeah, it's a good question. Um, can you remember when you heard that Biggie had died? Yeah, um... I, was, I went to college, so I think Big Breakfast was on at the time. <laughs> was it Johnny Vegas and uh, Johnny... Um, Johnny Vaughan and Denise. And Denise. One. Yeah. And um, I think the TV must have been on mute or something. And I saw Biggie's face in the, in the inset. So I didn't think anything of it. So I go, I go to college and the mate of mine says, oh yeah, you know Biggie's dead? I'm like, no. He says, you know he's dead. So this time now there's no internet. There's yeah, no yeah. mobile phones. I can't go on Twitter to, to, to verify it. <laughs> yeah. So I just said, no, he's lying, he's lying. This can't be true. Yeah, yeah. And I said that for ages, and then it was confirmed. Oh, shit. And no, but it was just like unbelievable because it was six months after Tupac. Um, with Tupac, he died seven days after his shot. Yeah. So, and Tupac was, you know, near death, bear t- a lot of times. Already. Yeah, well, yeah. I thought he was obsessed with the thing, he was shot five times <laughs> in New York. Yeah. Um, so we just thought. With Tupac, we just thought, oh, he'd, just, he'd, he'd pull through, he'd yeah. be all right. And when he heard his dad, like, rah, you know. Because it's, yeah. like, it's a bit like a 50 cent thing, you know. No one's going to kill him, he'll live forever. Yeah, yeah. And I guess with Biggie, it was just mad because Biggie talks about selling drugs, but my view of him at that time, he wasn't really about that life. He wasn't really, he wasn't really a killer, so it's kind mm. of sad because, um, you know, we talked about um, Juicy, for example, mm. and um, he says... Wondered why Christmas missed us, and his yeah. mum caned him for that because yeah. he was quite—he was fairly mid, not middle class, yeah. but he was upper working class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, his mum talked about him having a polo shirt with a mm. horse, and everything. people didn't even know what that was. So, um, <laughs> you know, and Biggie's mum was someone who came to the forefront after he died. But you know, mm. when she was alive, she was—you know—she had a decent job. Mm. And um, so when I heard that he got murdered, I thought, oh, this is really sad. You know, he's just getting his life together. You know, he's of faith. He's got a young baby at the time. I just remember being being really sad and I found it hard to listen to um Life After Death. Yeah. Um, and I've got a lot to say about that album, but we're talking about it yeah. tonight. But, um, Sky's the limit, it's yeah, like I just thought that was just so fucking soft. We hear it now and you're yeah. like, yeah, it's a nice enough song. Yeah. But um But yeah, I just remember just being devastated because back then rappers weren't rappers weren't really dying like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um I mean I guess in the years that followed you had um, Big L, you had um, Freaky Tar and a few others who, who went as well. But it was just it's two Crazy. of the biggest people in hip hop, and it's just gone like that. I mean, it would literally now be like Kendrick Lamar dying, and then like Drake, and then Drake, yeah, yeah, like back to back. It would just, it would just, the scene would just like implode. It'd yeah, be and, crazy. And back then it was Biggie or Tupac. No one was really into both. Yeah, and I was Biggie, hundred thousand percent. So I never yeah. really Tupac didn't really care. It didn't have an impact on my life. Big Tupac dying because he did um, hit him up, which was just mental. Yeah, but I was really sad. I mean, I was just. I guess what I took away from it, at least I got to see Biggie live. Yeah, exactly, and and that's the thing. Like this is what we're saying about the importance of seeing people when you yeah. get the opportunity, because you never know. what's Any, happen. you know, if you if you're near any big cities and an artist you like comes over, just go and see them. Yeah, for because definitely. you know, just be, you know, obviously in this in this day and age, you can do it all on YouTube, but just being in their presence and just seeing their energy, and even getting a little high five of them that I probably never ever remember in their yeah. lives. Because yeah. you know, I mean, I remember I saw Wu Tang and then Carnival. And obviously Carnival's free. Yeah. So the whole Wu-Tang Clan were there, apart from ODB 
and Method Man storms the stage and you know, does, his, does his thing and he, come, and he reaches his arm out to the crowd and I must have touched his hand. Yeah. <laughs> and a big fucking deal back then, you know Amazing. what I mean? You know, now I'm in my early 40s and if that happened again now, I'll still be as high. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing of hip-hop. Um, hip-hop is just it's something that never die. I mean, don't focus on what you don't like. Don't focus on, I don't know, Little Pump and um, Carl and these yeah. guys. Just focus on what you like and take joy from... from, from from the artists that you enjoy. Mate, that's 100% the exact right attitude, I think. And, and and I do it as well. You get caught up with, like hating on people you think are yeah. shit. There's no point in doing that. It, you just fill yourself up with rage. It's like, just go back and listen to the albums that you love. Try and find other artists that are making good hip-hop. There's a lot of good hip-hop that's been made now that's new that people like. They just need to kind of explore it. No, we're all protective of our culture. But yeah. From people from the outside looking in, they can't see us putting the culture down because it doesn't help us at all mm. it, just, it just makes people say oh, hip hop's a mess blah 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 yeah, exactly. you got Future and all these people drinking purple and all that Lean, stuff yeah. but um, there's plenty of good hip hop out there I mean if you've not heard the stuff that Apollo Brown is doing give him a listen he's featured with loads of yeah. different rappers um, you've got Black Milk who's done a number of good albums yeah. in the last 10 years Blue who I mentioned earlier on Blue without the E um, yeah. those guys um Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib stuff is yeah, amazing. I think in, they've got a new song out called Flat Tummy T. Yeah. I'm not giving that a proper listen yet, but Freddie Gibbs does an album called Pinata. Which is Mad, Mad Lib, Lib yeah. is amazing. Um, yeah, there's loads of good hip hop out there. Just get listening to it, and there's plenty. Yeah, there is plenty. You just have to dig a little bit kind of under the surface. And, and if you don't like those, just at one of us, and we'll recommend you something <laughs> else you don't like. Exactly, exactly. Okay, quick question um, from Nick Keen, Kino, regular listen to the pod. Um, would you rather, so he obviously is aware that you're coming on, knows that we've done the fighting cock together, so yeah, he knows yeah. you're a big Spurs fan. Yeah. So his question is, would you rather never be able to listen to music again or never be able to watch football again? I've got to say music because yeah. um, I think the things I take out of watching football isn't what happens on the pitch. Yeah. It's being with my mates, um, whether it's having a pub, go to the pub before the game's having a drink, having a laugh. Yeah. Hugging my mate when my team scores, um, but music is just something that um, just all encompassing. It's just you got um, different genres of music that you get into, and just yeah. the feeling you get when you hear a new song that you like. You know, um, coming onto this podcast, I think I was thinking about the first times I heard Biggie, and um, I remember when I first heard Brooklyn's Finest, for example, yeah. with Jay Z, and. Yeah. That was a side of Biggie we hadn't heard. You know, yeah. it's kind of coming of hard bars, and I just think I don't know. I just love I love music. So I don't love music more than Las Vegas necessarily, but I couldn't not hear music again. Yeah, so it's a really it's a really tough question because yeah, for me it's like music, and it's a, such a cliche, but music is like the soundtrack to your life. So yeah. the songs that you like and that, that permeate like your moments in your life. Yeah. That they will stay with you forever, and then when they when you hear those songs, they take you back to that era, they take you back to that memory. So it's like something that's so, so kind of intangible, but also so magical and brilliant. But it's exactly the same thing as like when you're, you know, like with, with Spurs, for example, when we're like in a competition, a knockout competition, and yeah. we need a last minute winner, and we get one. Yeah. That feeling, or with like we need to, we're like playing against the scum, and we need yeah. to win. And Kane bends one in the top bins, and yeah. everyone around you is has that same feeling as you, it's that shared experience. Yeah. It's, it's, they're very similar in that way. Like, a music, like, if you go and see a live gig, you know, all the people that are in the audience are excited by and a fan of the person yeah. on the stage. And it's the same with football. Like, everyone in the, the stands is, is a fan of what's happening on the pitch. So. I mean, last year we saw The Streets. I mean, I saw The Streets mm. when they first came out. Well, same. It was, again, it was up doing a tour last year. And when Blinded by the Lights came on, 
and you've got people who are like in their 20s who weren't around when that song yeah. was out, and you've got people my age and older, all just in unison. I just think, oh, I, just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't turn my back on that. Yeah, the thing is, I, th- I think it's, yeah, I think, I think ultimately as well, like when you get really old, you can still listen to music. It's like kind of fairly passive. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, being able to, and I guess it's the same, you could sit on your sofa and watch football, but the beauty of watching football is seeing it live yeah. and, and do it and experiencing that way. So yeah, we'd probably both lose football, which is tragic, but there we go. And be a massive blow to Flav and the rest of the lads at the fighting cock. Well, I don't make a difference out of watching Okay, so uh, in honour, I wanted to think of something a little bit more light-hearted and fun. So in honour of Biggie Smalls, okay. I wanted to know whether you'd rather be biggie or smalls so would you rather be double your size or half your size the problem with being double my size is that it would affect almost everything I do I wouldn't be able to, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to fit in my car I wouldn't be able to fit in my house yeah. I wouldn't be able to sit and watch football oh, yeah. I couldn't go to a concert because I'd, I'd be in everyone's way maybe I could go to the back but then I'd be crouching yeah um, I'd have to be half my size. I mean, my girlfriend wouldn't like my girlfriend wouldn't like me being half my size. But the thing is, for me, I could probably do with it. I mean, it'd be about right. I'd be like, oh, you just you, you just look like a normal human now, rather than just some fucking big buffalo. So it 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 have to be because I'm six foot three. So if and oh, I don't know how much I weigh, like sixteen and a half stone, seventeen stone. So if you double those up, it's like. I imagine it would be like what Giggs looks like in his new video, you know, when he's like running around London like a big giant. I've not seen a video, yeah. I just look like just ridiculous or Andre the Giant, like back to life. So yeah, I'd also have to be like half my size, which is the image of that is also quite funny. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm not going to say I'm going to say I want to be problematic that's, that's, that's yeah let's leave, let's leave it we've, we've done quite well so far um, would you rather in terms of like being problematic this one is, is also very gross would you rather eat Puff Daddy's shit in a sandwich or drink a shot of Little C's jizz shot all day long wash it down. we can wash it down true and also I mean People have very diff- very different definitions of a sandwich, don't they? Like yeah. when I'm making a sandwich, it's like a big doorstop. Yeah. I guess if Diddy's shit was the filler, maybe I'd go for like something a bit smaller. But yeah, a shot of anything you can just get done quite quickly. Yeah, it's like I'm a celebrity, you get me out of it. I mean, it's like that old tossing your salad thing of Chris Rock, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can send it something else. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you suck it someone else, you can send it something else. But if it's arse, you know it's arse. It's the same bit of a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's a sandwich. Yeah, it's very true, yeah. And also, it's like... A big bite of a sandwich is the equivalent to the shot, isn't it, really? Yeah, and you're going to have to make, what, eight to ten bites to get yeah. it gone. Oh, no, no. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I agree with you. Little C's is jizz. And Little C's always just seemed like kind of quite a nice little playful character. He was broken right when Biggie died. He was... I think... When when Tupac died, I think it was Danny Boy. He was on um, he was part of Death Row. He was devastated, and I remember his Little C's just yeah, just being absolutely broken up by it because yeah. you know, he was like their big brother. He had the Junior Mafia. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Biggie had them coming through. And I guess yeah, he kind of owed everything he had. Not you know, even before the kind of the music really kicked off. You know, he was always kind of looking after him and, yeah. and kind of taking care of him. And then he had his you know his own. Kind of career, should yeah, we call it that? Crush on you. Yeah, it's just, tune, yeah. So you know, he did he did a few little bits, but you know, ultimately, it's just kind of quite sad for him because essentially he lost his big mate, yeah, and his big brother. Um, okay, well, look, I think it's been uh, really good, mate. Really interesting having you on. So we've got a couple more episodes we need to get you back for. 
Yeah, so, so it'd be really good. I think it's been, um, I think it's been amazing. So thank you so much. Um, if you want to follow uh, this podcast, if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, notoriousp underscore o underscore d. If you want to follow me uh, on Insta and Twitter, it's the same. It's at the real John Bass, J O N B A W S. I've also got a new podcast with a friend of mine uh, called Holly, and basically Holly doesn't know anything, mate. If you say to her, "Oh, have you seen?" Like that video of this guy last week that everyone else in the world knows. She'll go, no, what's that? So she's like a female Carl Pilkington. Basically, yeah. Um, so we've, we've started a podcast called Man's Not What because I asked her, oh, have you seen that Man's Not Hot? And she was like, Man's Not What? And it just cracked <laughs> me up. So I was like, let's do a podcast. I'll pick like three of the stories from the week that I think you should know about yeah. and we'll talk about it. So if you like that sort of stuff, it's a lot more kind of easy listening um, they're usually about half an hour, they're very easy to listen to, and they come out every uh, Sunday. Um, so check that out, and again, we're on Twitter and Instagram, at Man's Not What. Um, this podcast is everywhere, so please rate, review, tell your friends about it. Um, teammate, thank you so much. If people no want to follow you, where can they follow you, mate? Okay, it's Thelonious Filth on Twitter and Instagram. Thelonious, like the singer, and Filth, F-I-L-T-H. Um, I'm on two podcasts. One of them is a fighting cock Spurs one. The Twitter handle for that is Love the Shirt, and the Instagram handle for that is at the Fighting Cock. Um, I do another podcast called Below the Belt, which is about boxing. Um, the Twitter handle for that is Below the Belt underscore. Um, so just follow those. Good stuff. And that's about it for the plugin, I think. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, look, thanks very much uh, for joining us, T. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Really appreciate it. We'll no get worries. you back soon, I'm sure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're going to get another episode out uh, very soon. I'm going to do some bonus stuff with random genres and different stuff, so we'll get it out to you. Um, so keep watching this space. Thanks for joining us, and get ready for the next episode. Peace. This is Notorious P.O.D. The name's John Bass on this MIC I brought a couple man alongside of me I got Gary Roy Smith in the place to boot We got murder stats and guests galore You know we're talking real hip-hop folklore And we're gonna cover all the goddamn classics Notorious P.O.D. We're gonna smash it Peace!